0: Welcome to Sound Encounters, the show where I take you on a musical journey as we explore different genres, bands and artists, and new and classic releases. I'm Caesar Torres, and I'll be your guide today. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Sound Encounters, and I know I I ended last week's episode by saying, "Look, guys, I'm not pretty. Sh- I'm, I'm not sure what we're, we're going to talk about next week." I was almost like. This close to rescheduling the podcast schedule (laughs) um, to start doing a bi-weekly podcast. But I didn't want to do that. And I I definitely have a lot of ideas of where to take this show now. Not just with this episode, but the next the following episodes, I have uh some plans for that, because I want to talk about some artists. You'll get more artist guides. um, But for this week, I have a genre guide because it's, it's kind of it feels like it's been a while since we've done that, maybe in, uh, since January, because I think we did Talking Heads. Then we did MF Doom. And then I had that week where, you know, I just didn't release an episode. So that took up a week. And I'm pretty. Oh, gosh. I think the last one that I did was the Midwest Emo Guide. But thankfully, I have another genre guide, and this one is uh, about ambient music, because I love ambient music. I knew that this was a genre that I really wanted to talk about when I started the show, and one that's that's really personal. It's a personal genre, and I don't mean that in a way that like, oh yeah, I love this genre, and it means a lot to me. It is a genre that I love and it does mean a lot to me. But what I mean by that is there's no objective way of looking at ambient music. You know, there's there's a lot of songs with pretty straightforward lyrics, straightforward melodies. You know what you're getting into, but with ambient music, there's more of a subjective take on the music because it's, an, it's mainly instrumental. And I... I'm going to shut up right now because I think I explained it a bit better in the actual segment. So we'll save that for later. But I kind of I I wanted to talk about something last week that I just forgot to talk about. And I didn't post anything on social media because I'm still not sure how I feel about Daft Punk's split. I felt like... We've probably, uh, it was a long time coming. You know, it's been so long since they've released anything. Gosh, like, when was the last time? When did they release Random Access Memories? That was in 2013. I was in high school since the last time they released an album. I graduated high school, graduated university, started this podcast, and then Daft Punk, you know, announced that they were done. And they've been, a part of my life for as long as I can remember because there was, I remember this very distinct memory of me being probably less than seven years old going to Six Flags Great America, which is a theme park here in the Midwest. And after the day was done, my parents buckled me into my car seat and my dad put on One More Time by Daft Punk. And that's a memory that sticks with me because that was like the first time that I heard Daft Punk. And I was amazed by the music, just amazed by their talent. And I'm pretty sure that was like the my first exposure to like any sort of dance music. I'm pretty sure I heard I've heard dance music before in movies or just on the radio but that was the first time where you know I stopped and listened and I was like wow what is this I need to know more about this and throughout you know my life I've just begun listening to Daft Punk and, and going on this journey with them um, starting with Discovery then making my way through Homework then listening to Human After All and and, and by that point you know Get Lucky was getting pretty popular on the radio which was teasing the, the upcoming release of Random Access Memories. And then, of course, before then, they, they did Tron Legacy and they appeared in Tron Legacy. Um, I don't really count that as much. Maybe I, I, I should. But when I think of Daft Punk, I mainly think of their four LPs as well as a live 2007, because that is such an amazing live album, probably one of the best live albums ever recorded. So when I finally got the news, I didn't start grieving right away it was more of like wow it's in, in the short span of like three months mf doom is gone sophie is gone and daft punk broke up and at that point it felt like comical that like all of this stuff was happening and like all these important players in music were just either gone or they just stopped making music and i think i said earlier Um, I I can't really remember if I did say this earlier, but I felt like this was a long time coming because they weren't making any music. The most recent projects that I remember them working on are Arcade Fire's Everything Now from 2017 and then collabing with The Weeknd for Starboy. In between the release of Random Access Memories and Now, they've just been helping or or producing other artists' albums. Yeah, we... we, uh... They aren't really known for their tight release schedules, but I just felt like I knew that this was coming. And so when it finally came, I was like, damn, that sucks. But I felt like I've already mourned. And so that was kind of a weird experience. I I didn't have the right words at the time when uh, they announced their breakup. I feel like I still don't, but... But I want to remember them in my own way because they made a wonderful dance, house, disco music. And I want to talk about them on the show next week. I, I will do a guide to Daft Punk where I talk about their, their four LPs and their live albums and whatever else they did in between. So you have that to look forward to next week. And and I'll go more in depth with their releases And I might have some words, some better words, to honor their legacy by next week. Who knows? I could just be a nerd and geek out over their legendary projects instead. I might ask this again next week, but I'm curious to hear what are your favorite Daft Punk projects. You can tweet at me, message me, voice message me on Anchor uh, or on social media at Sound Encounters on Twitter and Instagram. Give that account a follow. And we could talk about Daft Punk next week. You can tell me your favorite albums and I'll compile them all into a segment and we can have this discussion. But that's enough Daft Punk for now. We can talk more about them next week. For right now, what is ambient music? All right, so ambient music. This genre is a bit more difficult to talk about. But I'm going to try my best because I love this genre so much and I honestly love a good challenge. So here we go. Ambient music has always been an interesting genre for me because it encompasses a large spectrum of music and it can say a lot without saying anything at all. Ambient music, as the name suggests, relates to atmospheric music and because of that it's mostly instrumental. There's some ambient songs that have vocals, but for the most part, it's instrumental. I've heard ambient music that's been composed by different instruments like guitar, piano, flutes, etc. But I was introduced to the genre through electronic ambient artists. But we are going to explore a couple of albums that use conventional instruments and albums that use electronic textures and sound effects. And I say ambient music can say a lot without saying much is because the main goal of ambient music is to explore moods and atmospheres through the music without the use of traditional music structures or rhythms. This is typically achieved when artists layer tracks with one another or experiment with different tones or textures. The result is an enigmatic listening experience, at least for me, because on one hand you can be distracted you can do other things while listening to ambient music, you know, I discovered this genre in high school as I needed something in the background while I did homework or studied, but also you can actively listen to it and try to pinpoint the subtleties within tracks and you'll get a very different experience than when you're passively listening to this music. Really the draw for me is how ambient music makes me feel. Artists try to convey an array of emotions within these songs and sometimes they can communicate them effectively with listeners, but others might get something else from it. I could listen to a Stars of the Lid track and come out of it feeling very dejected, but you can listen to the same track and feel uplifted. This is where I think the prosperity of ambient music lies, the different interpretations of the music that it can relay. So don't take my descriptions or my interpretations of this music as gospel because you can feel some other type of way when listening to these tracks these artists and with that out of the way here are five albums that'll start your journey into the realm of ambient music ambient one music for airports brian eno 1978 brian eno is a man who needs no introduction he's a legendary musician and producer i've talked about him a handful of times on the show and i just knew i was going to talk about this album at some point Whether it was an Essentials episode or an episode like this covering the ambient genre, uh, because this is the cornerstone of contemporary ambient music. He created this concept or the concept of the album while waiting several hours at a German airport and being annoyed at its general atmosphere. The music on this album was meant to be played continuously on a loop as a sound installation at airports so that it would diffuse the tense and anxious atmosphere of an airport terminal. And it's with this album that Eno coined the term ambient music. Uh, this isn't the first ambient album. Eno didn't invent the genre, but he's the one that gave it a modern and recognizable face. Eno wanted to create a calming atmosphere that would allow listeners to think, and to achieve that, he would record individual instrumental tracks and loop them and layer them together. However, while experimenting with this technique, he found that the loops would never match up because the tracks were all different lengths. As a result, the music can sound very complex as patterns sound like they are constantly shifting and evolving, when in reality, the tracks just couldn't sync up together. Take for instance, on the opening track titled 1-1, Slash the, the clear centerpiece of this song is the pensive sounding piano melody, which repeats until the song is over. But as the track plays, other instruments and synthesizers will fade in and out, uh, imitating the sound of a complex pattern, as I stated before. I love when the synths come in because as the piano is playing and sounding very Uh, depressing, the sense slowly rising gives it this uplifting and ethereal quality to it. The following track, 2 slash 2, continues that sublimity as these airy, heavenly vocals becomes the foundation for this song. It's interesting how Eno framed this track as it slowly rises, then peaks, and then fades out for a couple of moments, creating a silence before it plays again. This is definitely one of the more enlightening ambient pieces I've ever heard, and it, it gives me chills because it's just gorgeous. 1 slash 2 is the zenith of the previous two tracks, as it combines the wordless vocals of 2 slash 1 with a dejected piano that sounds similar to 1 slash 1's melody. This is a bit of a weird one because there's two opposite emotions happening in this track. One is drab and a bit heartbreaking, and the other is bright and hopeful. It creates this feeling of stasis that can be totally dispiriting yet calming and depending on how you are feeling when you listen to the track, your emotional response can lean one way or the other. Or you can feel something entirely different. I'm just going off of my experience listening to this track and I know I'm giving you five albums to get you into the genre but if you are listening to this and you are thinking that this genre doesn't sound interesting to you. At least give Music for Airports a try because it is an important project, not just for ambient music, but for music in general. And you just cannot deny the beauty found in these four tracks. Selected Ambient Works, Volume 2, Aphex Twin, 1994 The last time I went in depth with a Richard D. James project, it was because I was covering his first one under the Aphex Twin name, Selected Ambient Works, 85-92. And while that LP has ambient in its name and it has a couple of ambient tracks, I never felt like it was a full-blown ambient album. It was more in line with experimental dance and techno music and IDM, which is why I talked about it for the What Is IDM episode. You can go back and listen to that to hear more about that album. But Saw Volume 2 is 100% an ambient album, no doubt about it. Throughout its two-hour-and-a-half runtime, the listener is exposed to a wide variety of emotions and soundscapes. Richard has stated that the music on this album was inspired by episodes of lucid dreaming and synesthesia, which is a phenomenon in which the brain can attribute colors to shapes, letters, and sounds. Damn, I wish I was synesthetic. But Richard's superpower assisted him while making this album, and as a result, this LP can come off as very relaxing. It can lull you to a dreamlike state. But there are also moments of great tension and paranoia. A bit of a side note before I start talking about the individual tracks. All of these tracks, except for track 13, Blue Calcs, don't have any names. Instead, on vinyl and CD copies of this album, each track is labeled with pictures, probably to connect the songs with episodes of uh, James's uh, Lucid Dreaming. On streaming services, they are labeled number 1, number 2, number 3, and so on, but fans have given them unofficial names based on the pictures, so I'm going to refer to them as those names. There are tracks on here like the Soothing and Bittersweet lichen, which really shines due to its simplicity as it shifts between several notes. The more recognized track from this record, Rhubarb, is similar in presentation and atmosphere, repeating a couple of notes and sounding like the most serene piece of music you've ever heard. RDJ can make music that sounds like what a warm hug should sound like, but then he makes terrifying pieces that can get under your skin. Grass is a good example of this as pounding percussion, a haunting drone, and eerie effects slowly rise and build tension throughout its duration. It makes me feel like I am stranded at an abandoned warehouse while trying to escape a shadow demon, which isn't something I wouldn't expect from a song titled Grass. But it's lucid dreaming inspired Apex Twin music. What are you going to do? Another track that is really horrific is the track that precedes Rhubarb, Radiator. The horror from this track is due to these detuned instruments playing a creepy, repetitive segment. It transports me back to that abandoned warehouse, except this time a killer clown is chasing me, or like a killer ice cream truck. You'll get it when you hear the, 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 the song. One of the best tracks here, Blue Calx, straddles the line between reflective and just pure bliss. It has this constant gentle pulsating rhythm that is hypnotic and a beautiful synth pad that swells and interweaves itself through the song's DNA. Saw volume 2 is just a mind-blowing experience that takes the listener throughout all these diverse textures that are absolutely wonderful. One of my favorite projects from Mr. James and one of my favorite ambient projects period. 7614 Global Communication 1994 Now I'm cheating with this one a bit because it almost doesn't qualify as an ambient project. There are certainly ambient aspects of this record, but it is also a down-tempo, post-techno album. There are times on this record where it sounds like you're listening to Aphex's first album, Saw 8592, but I think there is more ambient qualities to it than the other stuff. Before I talk about the music on this thing, let's talk about some background. Global Communication are an electronic duo hailing from England, and this is their second full-length album. The title refers to the record's total running time in minutes and seconds, although the actual runtime is like two seconds shorter, and you might not have noticed if I hadn't said anything. So sorry if that is bothering you now. That was not my intent. Each track is also named corresponding to their respective length, and the duo wanted to do that as to not attach a specific meaning to the music to allow listeners to interpret individual songs however they please. I can listen to a track like 739 and get this groovy feeling when I listen to it because of its danceable down-tempo beat. Now, of course, this is more in line with the techno and house sounds of this record, but let's take a look at the more ambient-sounding tracks. 1431 was the first track on this album that stood out to me because of its constant layering of different sounds. It opens with a clock ticking sound effect, then waves crashing up against the shore, then a plane flying overhead, then an angelic vocal track fades in and out of the track. So the duo is creating this dense tapestry of sound that is really mesmerizing. But the final piece of this recipe, the the spacey surreal synth chords, is my favorite part of the track because it ties everything together nicely. It keeps a constant melody that adds to the track's trance-like quality, and it has a real effect on me, by the way. I I notice my body starts to relax whenever I put this song on. It's an engaging listen and and one of my favorite ambient tracks. The album's opener, 402, has the opposite effect, however, as ominous sirens reverberate and mystifying ethereal synths slowly fade in. It's a track that begins with this haunting urgency and slowly transforms itself to this cosmic wonder. I didn't like this track at first, but hearing it again while I was writing down my notes for this episode made me view it differently, and I appreciate what it does here. And 1218, the album's final piece, recalls Eno's experiments with wordless vocal tracks, but this time they are accompanied by gentle rising synths and a calming ambient pad that washes over you. And hey, if you prefer something more upbeat and danceable, you can listen to 739 or 523 because that track has a nice driving beat. But the ambient music that is featured here is incredible and at times transcendental. Substrata, Biosphere, 1997 This record is a real treat. Norwegian electronic artist Gere Jensen is the man behind Biosphere. And I really feel for Jensen because he lives in Tromsø, Norway. I think I said that right, which is near the Arctic Circle. And I can only imagine that it gets really cold up there. But I enjoy how he takes his surroundings and shapes his music with these Arctic landscapes. Throughout Substrata, Jensen does his best to replicate this chilling environment with the use of field recordings of Howling Wind and what sounds like snowstorms, and I can't help but like shiver whenever I hear these songs, or at least feel cold when I hear these songs, because he is really good at conveying that icy tundra chill, that, that feeling when it's so cold, you can feel it in your bones. Field recordings play a huge factor in crafting this arctic sound, but I'm more fascinated by the sonorous sonic experiments and his use of instruments on this record. A track like Chuck Hung takes these samples of instruments and reverberates them and it creates this ominous and incredible clangors that take on these tranquil like feature. Along with this are dramatic synth effects that vibrate and contribute to that sedation I just mentioned. Jensen also employs this shapeless approach to crafting music, which is a characteristic of ambient music, but I feel as it is more evident on this record. Hyperborea is a great example of this, as a low hum provides a soft bed for what sounds like a recording of someone walking through the snow, spathy synth flourishes, and a clip from the David Lynch show, Twin Peaks. The clip is taken from Season 2, Episode 1 of the show, where Major Briggs talks to his son Bobby about a vision he had. Parts of this monologue can be heard throughout the song, but it-, it shocked and intrigued me that Jensen would sample a clip from Twin Peaks on his songs. He does it again on The Things I Tell You, where he takes a clip of the giant talking to special agent Dale Cooper from the same episode, FYI. As much as I enjoy the mashup, the question of why they are included kept bugging me, and I just kind of thought in my head that because both the show and the record have themes of nature, Jensen wanted to reinforce this theme by connecting it to a show that periodically focuses on the beauty of nature. Also, it's great to hear references to my favorite show whenever I can, and Major Briggs's monologue from that episode is absolutely beautiful, so it earns extra points for that. Without using the field recording technique, I think the best songs that portray the iciness of this record are Poa Alpina and Cobricia. I hope I said that right. You can hear distant flutes and frigid and gloomy keys playing on Poa Alpina. And the entire time I'm thinking of how well the flutes mimic this winter landscape. As it sounds like you could be walking through a snow covered area while fighting to stay warm. Cobricia takes a more electronic approach to this atmosphere building as the ambient pad swirls and swells like it's a torrent of snow whipping around you. By far my favorite track here is Sphere of No Form, as it uses water trickling and wind sound effects to set the mood for this glacial track. The synth tones blare, making for a violent and disturbing track, it's as if Jensen is highlighting the dangers of cold and freezing temperatures, and he does a phenomenal job crafting this barren and isolated atmosphere. It's almost as if that like the song is trying to convey dying alone in the freezing cold and snow. I know that's bleak, but that's the response that comes to me while listening to this track. Don't miss out on this one, because I think it's one of the most important ambient records out there. It might even be my favorite one. Haven't decided whether or not it is actually my favorite ambient record. And their Refinement of the Decline, Stars of the Lid, 2007. I'm going to close out this list with a more recent ambient project and the band that got me into ambient music. Stars of the Lid are an ambient duo from Austin, Texas that I've been listening to since I was in high school to help me focus or or, or play some background noise while I was doing homework. Their style of ambient music is a bit different from what we've heard so far. They tend to use more traditional instruments like horns, pianos, guitars other classical instruments, and stretch out a note to create a drone, sort of recreating John Cale's viola drone technique. As a result, songs sound more cinematic because it uses these instruments that are typically found in orchestras, and most movie scores are orchestral, which is a quality I'm sure most people will latch onto while listening to this project. But what stands out to me is how slow and languorous these songs are, because the instrumentation is is stretched out, tracks tend to feel a bit heavy and depressing. Take for instance the track A Meaningful Moment Through a Meaningless Process. Sluggish strings slowly rise and creates a suspended moment that allows listeners to ruminate in this melancholia. If that weren't enough, this joyless piano melody enters to break up the monotony of the strings. Yet the piano contributes to this dreary atmosphere. This was my first exposure to Stars of the Lid, and while this track is deeply saddening, I also saw the value of the emotion that was being put on display. Up until I heard this track, I had never heard a piece that authentically emulated the depressing atmosphere that this one conveys. I mean, sure, there are a lot of songs that talk about sadness and depression, but I, this was like the first time I was hearing actual depression being portrayed with music. It's such a powerful piece anyway. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. I actually believe a track like Tippy's Demise belongs on a movie soundtrack. As the strings perform a crestfallen ballad, it sounds like it could work well alongside a scene of someone dying or like maybe a scene in a war movie during the aftermath a huge battle as the camera slowly pans over the destruction. Not much happens throughout Tippy's demise, but its slow-moving devastation is tragically beautiful. Then there are tracks that I think are a bit more lighter and more hopeful. Don't bother that here is one of the duo's most popular tracks, as the strings and organ have this uplifting tone to them, even though at times the organ can sound rather defeated. But then some gentle vibraphone notes stand out among the rest of the instrumentation And I think it sounds really heartwarming here. The Daughters of Quiet Minds takes on a more mysterious and ethereal sound to it. Drones craft an otherworldly, almost celestial feeling to this track, as it repeats the same tone throughout with slight variation and more bass added to it, so it creates this grandiose quality to it. What Stars of the Lid does here is nothing short of amazing. They are able to create music on this large scope just using minimal techniques and compositions, and I think that should be applauded. It's such a shame that this was the last stars of the Lid record, but hey, at least they went out with a drone. A bang. And so that concludes my list for five albums to get you into Ambient. To recap, we have Ambient 1, Music for Airports by Brian Eno, Selected Ambient Works Volume 2 by Aphex Twin, 7614 by Global Communication, Substrata by Biosphere, and and Their Refinement of the Decline by Stars the Lid. I hope you are able to find your own interpretations of this music because it's such a powerful genre, and I'm happy that I was able to share these albums with you, and hopefully I got you into a, a, a new genre of music. What is your favorite ambient album? What is your favorite ambient group, artist? You can let me know. Send me that voice message on anchor.fm, and we can continue. This ambient discussion. And that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Make sure to tune in next week for another exciting installment. And like I said earlier, like I promised, next week I'm gonna talk about Daft Punk. So that'll be exciting. In the meantime, you can follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages with the handle at Sound Encounters. I post updates and share music memes. On those accounts and i interact with the lovely people who give my posts a like and a comment you can also send me a voice message through anchor to recommend a topic i should talk about or you could give me some feedback and if you do i'll give you a shout out on the show just go to anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters or soundencounters.com, or follow the link in the podcast description to send your message leave a review on apple podcasts and that too could be featured in an upcoming episode Alright, that about wraps it up. Rock on, music explorers. I'll see you next week. Ciao.